Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 20th Sunday after Trinity, October 17, 2021, is preached by Pastor Steve Muntrom. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 17. This is probably a somewhat familiar story to us from Scripture. I use the word story in the sense of history, true story. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke 5.17. One day Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would, as you have promised, that you would nourish our souls on this faithful word of God. We thank you, O God, for the message of Jesus, who has come into this dark world with its lostness and its disease, its brokenness and its misery. And there Jesus walks and speaks and acts as the light of the world, as the living Savior, as the great Redeemer for all men. And we pray, God, today that through the preaching of your word, through the truth of Jesus, that you would strengthen us in our faith and remind us that as you spoke to those men in that place of the forgiveness of sins, so you speak to us today of the forgiveness of sins as well. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed how common it is for people to believe things without any evidence or really any reason to believe them at all? Uh, certainly part of our sinfulness, and you know, I, um, I, don't, I don't necessarily like using an example from politics. But um, politics does 
does illustrate the sinfulness of humanity pretty well. And um, you'll notice that someone is running for office, a man or woman will be running for office, and they will make all sorts of promises in their speeches. And people believe it. People believe that so-and-so is going to do this, and so-and-so is going to do that. Often their previous record suggests they will do nothing of the kind. And of course, the reality of our two-party system and the separation of powers, they probably can't even do the things that they're claiming that they're going to do if they're elected. And yet, for some reason, people believe them. They believe that they will actually do that. Or I think of, of, of old wives' tales. I don't know if, we sh if, if that's a proper term anymore. Sounds a little sexist, but old wives' tales. People believe that this particular homemade remedy will fix this problem or this particular issue caused by this other behavior or whatever. And there are countless of those in our culture and in, our, in the kind of the lore of our, of our society. And people believe them. And maybe all the evidence suggests that there's no substance to them, but, you know, this is what my mom always said, this is what my grandma always said, so people believe it. What happens in, in, uh, in science, there's this, uh, uh, this uh, page I follow on Facebook called The Big Think, I'm, and I don't put much stock in a lot of the things I see on there, but it's kind of interesting, and once in a while I learn something, and and not so long ago, there was this headline, and it's usually the headline. Headline says, the universe simulates itself into existence, physicist says. That's the headline, right? That, that somehow the universe, just, just from who knows how, just simulates, just imagines itself into existence. Physicist says. And of course, if a physicist says it, and I didn't read the article and certainly didn't read the paper that the physicist wrote, but I would expect it's, it's uh, short on evidence and long on speculation. But that's just kind of how we are, and I'm not even going to comment today on why people believe the things they do about football teams, because I, I don't know that there's ever any evidence for that, but people still believe the things they do. Well, it's kind of interesting what Jesus does in this passage of Scripture, isn't it? He talks about believing and believing what's easier to believe, this or that, and, and, and on what basis do we believe things? And we're going to, that's of course where the text ends. Before we get there, before we look at the end, we should look at the beginning and see how Jesus gets to that point of, of talking about the reasons that we would believe that our sins are forgiven. So we look at this passage of Scripture. It's, it's a really interesting passage. In this account of a true event in the history of the world, we find believers and unbelievers gathered together in this house. And I'm going to identify those who are mentioned in verse 17 as the unbelievers. They're, they're not called unbelievers in our text. They're called Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. But I'm going to call them unbelievers uh, because that's the role that they play throughout Scripture. 
Scripture does not ever show that the Pharisees, except one or two rare examples, are ever believers. And, and even in the way it says it, verse 17 there, it talks about how, how these Pharisees and teachers of the law are there. And then the last phrase in the verse says, the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. And that's kind of an odd state, statement, isn't it? Because what we know about Jesus as the true Son of God, that power to perform healing was present in him as the Son of God all the time. So exactly what it means that, that it was present at this particular time needs a little thought, I think. And this is how I've thought about it, okay? The statement that Luke's making isn't that Jesus has an ability he doesn't otherwise have, but that the conditions are, are right under the way God works in the world for that healing to take place. Because God always works in the world in a gracious manner. And, and, if, and if there is unbelief and resistance to the, performing, to, the, to the gracious work of God, God just won't force that. He won't just continue to, to pour out grace after grace upon unbelievers because it will only harden their hearts. It will only make it more unlikely that at some time in the future they will believe. And, and so he, he withholds those things at times until our hearts are softened, until we are broken by the judgment of God and his law, then he pours out those miracles upon us. And I would, I would read it that way. And so, so here you have these unbelievers. And because they are so com committed to their unbelief, they often interfere with the, with the demonstration of God's gracious power. But at this point, for some reason, doesn't tell us exactly why, but at this point, even the presence of these hardened unbelievers is not going to prevent Jesus from doing these miracles. And so he is performing miracles in this house and there's a great crowd that comes around. And then we meet the believers. Now those are the unbelievers, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then we meet the believers. And the believers in the text are this man and his friends. And of course, we know they're believers for a couple of reasons. We know they're believers. Jesus tells us they're believers in verse 20. But I think there's a little bit more we should note than just that Jesus tells us they're believers. They are described as believers. Where, where are they described as believers other than what Jesus says? Well, this is where I see their description as believers. They're needy people. And that's a, always a characteristic of believers. Believers are needy. Believers need the strength of God. And believers need the answers of his word. And believers need the cleansing of their sin. And believers need the help of God in their daily lives. And because they are described in our text as needy, paralyzed, the one man is paralyzed, yeah, that's, 
That, that's the condition of a true believer. Now, of course, those are, those are qualities of everybody, for sure. But, but in the text, they're, they're more than just described as believers. They're doing something that believers do. And I like the phrase that's in our, in our Sunday liturgy, that we say every Sunday, that describes the thing that believers do. And every Sunday, in our, as we approach God, we use this phrase. We flee for refuge to your infinite mercy. Every Sunday we say that. And that's what believers do. That's a description of what believers do. And that's what these guys are doing, right? They are fleeing for help to Jesus. And that's a true description of a believer. These are the believers. And so Jesus calls them believers because they are coming to Jesus they're looking for the answers and the help that they need, that, that the paralytic needs. They're looking for it in Jesus. And that's how believers are often described for us in Scripture. We, we meet them continually in the Bible as people who are fleeing for help to Jesus. The, the, their faith is not in some special knowledge their faith is not in some quality that they have that other people don't have. Their faith is in this, that they come to Jesus. And look at what Jesus says to those believers. He says to those believers, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just say that Forgiveness is a reality. He doesn't say, you know, there is such a thing as forgiveness, which of course is true. He doesn't say that, wow, you guys have really impressed me with your, with your determination to get through the ceiling of the house. Your sins are forgiven. He just says, friends, your sins are forgiven. And they obtain it. They, they obtain forgiveness of sins because of their faith. Because they believe that Jesus has uh, one, done what is necessary and has purchased how it needs to be purchased, the salvation that he promises in these words, your sins are forgiven. You know, Scripture teaches us pretty consistently about the forgiveness of sins, and we find it communicated to us, to the people in Scripture, and to us and to the world in, the, in, in words in, in, in the promise of forgiveness and in what, what you might call an absolution, a, a word of cleansing of the forgiveness of sins. And one of the greatest concerns of Scripture from beginning to end is that this message of forgiveness would become certain truth in the lives of sinners. That by turning away from ourselves and our performance, from the things that we may have done of a religious or moral quality and turning alone to God's promise, God's word, and to his sacraments that we would know and we would experience the true forgiveness of our sins. And, and that's the message of this text, that Jesus has this word and he, and he speaks it to them and in the speaking of it they are truly forgiven. The unbelievers only scoff. The unbelievers, they, they say, what is this that this guy is doing? They call it blasphemy. 
that this man, Jesus, would dare to speak the message of forgiveness to these needy sinners. And so Jesus, I think it's so interesting, how Jesus here, he offers them some reason to believe that this promise, this statement of his is true. And he says this, which is easier to say? Which is easier? Verse 23, your sins have been forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Well, you understand what he's saying? To say your sins are forgiven doesn't anticipate any immediate change in the reality right in front of them. But to say that you're, that you're healed, to say rise up and walk, does require some immediate change in the reality that's right in front of them. And so Jesus suggests, Jesus says, that it's, it's, it's harder to say you're, you're, you're healed because immediately people can look and see. Well, no, that didn't happen. But when he says your sins are forgiven, does the reality in front of us immediately change? Well, that's kind of an important question, isn't it? When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, does the reality of our lives immediately change in the same way that it immediately changes when a man is healed? And Jesus, this is what Jesus wants us to believe, that absolutely, absolutely, when, the, when the, these words are said, your sins are forgiven, the reality of our lives immediately changes. Changes, in fact, in a greater way than if we are healed from a disease. You know, it's no great accomplishment to believe in, in divine healing. Lots of people believe in divine healing. Non-Christians believe in healing. Even, even non-Christian religions teach it and cults believe in it. But the thing that God really wants is for us to believe that when he speaks these words, the reality of our life changes. And that's what Jesus came to this world to prove. He came to this world to prove that when, when these words are spoken, your sins are forgiven, that the reality of your life truly changes. And he proved it for these folks by healing the man. He says, here, watch this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, get up and walk. And immediately he got up and walked. That's a little bit harder for us, isn't it? Because we don't have miracles occurring continually in front of us. And it isn't even probably clear in Scripture that that's what God desires for us. But what is clear is that we understand that in Jesus a well-pleasing sacrifice has been made for our sins. And that's what we are always directed to in Scripture, that that's the certainty of forgiveness. From the Old Testament sacrificial system all the way up to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and to the ministry of the church in the world, the certainty of forgiveness of sins is always dependent on this, and it is on this that you know that the reality of your life has changed. In these words, your sins are forgiven. In this fact that a well-pleasing sacrifice has been made for sin before the throne of Almighty God. And that's Jesus. 
Jesus in his perfection. Jesus without any taint of sin. Jesus who spoke only truth throughout all his life and loved every man, woman, and child who ever crossed his path and all of the brokenness and all of the hurt and pain of their lives. That Jesus bled and died on Calvary's cross to prove to us that our reality changes when these words are spoken, your sins are forgiven. And that's the thing we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's Supper we celebrate that a well-pleasing sacrifice has been made for your sins and for my sins. For the sins of the world. So that when we, in, as true believers, flee for refuge to the infinite mercy of God, when we come to him with the burden of our sin and our, and our bothersome conscience and our continued weakness, all the evidence, all the evidence in our, in our everyday lives that our reality hasn't changed as much as maybe we think it should, we can rejoice and know and believe that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the reality of the lives of sinners truly changed. In Jesus, in whose name we believe and whose body and blood we share and to whom we as believers, as Christians, daily flee for refuge. Praise be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have made such great promises to us and have demonstrated to us that we live in a new reality because of Jesus. And we pray, God, that that would be uh, confirmed in our hearts today through your word and sacrament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.